I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Daniel chapter 2. Now, you know last week we were talking about how Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. In other words, no compromise. Like standing on truth, standing on principle, standing on the values that God had instilled in him. And so we recognize, we understand that, that God, because of Daniel's principled uh, stand against the culture, that God blessed and God honored and God used that. He used that in his life as well as in, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and you remember we landed last week. At the end of that passage, it talks about how that they were made ten times better than all the others. Of all the magicians and the astrologers and the leaders and, and the people that, that the king had put trust in, it says that they were ten times better. Do you remember that we talked about from Daniel chapter 1? Well, that's important you remember that because today we're going to be taking a different, a different uh, direction that not long after what happened in Daniel chapter 1, in Daniel chapter 2, something happened that, that could have changed everything. Now, I want to give you our key verse for today because it's a verse that, man, you ought to underline in your Bible. You ought to, like, write it out, print it out, stick it on your mirror at home or whatever it might be to remember this. Daniel chapter 2 in verse 20, it says this, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, listen to these words, for wisdom and might are His. Wisdom and power are His. Everything is in the hand of our God. Do you believe that today? Because my guess is, my bet is, there's somebody here today, someone watching today, listening today, that is in a situation where you feel as if life is out of control and you wonder, like, how in the world it got to this point? Like fearful of what is going to come, what's going to happen next. God is in control. Wisdom and might are His. Now, let's get into this passage today. We're not going to read the entire chapter. It's a lot of verses. We're not going to dig totally into the chapter, but we are going to cover most of the chapter so we get a, get a picture here of what it is that we can take away, we can learn from what took place in Daniel chapter 2. Now, I want to start with Daniel chapter 2. We're going to read the first five verses, okay? Verse 1. It says this, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Now, I want you to underline that in your Bible, if you would, or highlight it on your phone, whatever you've got, that his sleep left him. You know what that tells us? That means that this was so traumatic, this was a situation that brought such consternation and pain and, and fear to the king, the, the supreme ruler, if you will, of Babylon, that sleep left him. In other words, he was lying there in his bed wide awake because his mind was racing. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been there a lot. Last night, I've got four dogs, and all four dogs decided to stay awake all night. I was up all night last night. I almost killed four dogs last night. I just, full confession, I almost killed four dogs last night, and I'm, we almost had hot dogs for lunch today. Um, it, that, that was, yeah, okay. So we'll move on. But, so the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, was left in a situation where he could not get to sleep because of how troubled he was, okay? So now listen, it's important now. Let's set the stage there. Nebuchadnezzar was really, really out of control. He was afraid. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. And I think all of us can relate to that, okay? So Daniel chapter 2, let's keep reading this passage. So his sleep left him. It goes on to say, Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Now, let's pause right there. He called the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, the rulers, the people that were able to do like really big things, right? Remember the ones that Daniel 
And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the last passage said that they were 10 times better than this group, right? Remember that? So the king called them in. And he called them in and he said to them, I've had a dream and my spirit is anxious or, or afraid to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. But then the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Now, let's pause right there and kind of set the stage for what we're talking about. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes to bed one night. He has this dream that is so uh, scary, so fearful, so, uh, so frightening that it wakes him up. He could not get back to sleep. I mean, he was fully gripped by fear. And so the next day, because he felt this way, he calls in all of the magicians, the astrologers, all the people that he thought had the power to tell him what it was that, that this dream meant so that he could find hope so that he could find like how it relates to him and how he can get through this so he can go to sleep the next night, right? So he calls them in. And so the astrologers, the magicians, they say, okay, king, tell us what you dreamed and and we'll tell you what it means. But that's not what Nebuchadnezzar had in mind here because this thing was so big, he knew that he wanted supernatural power to tell him, to reveal to him what this was all about. So he said, no, you're going to tell me what I dreamed and you're going to tell me what the dream means. Now, you can imagine how all of those people who were standing before the king, how they felt. Because now the king was saying, okay, you're going to tell me what I dreamed. Now, the one thing that is certain of all people's dreams, like if you had a dream last night, I guarantee you, no one knows that dream unless you tell them, right? No one, they don't have wires hooked up to our brains to figure out what it is that we dreamed, right? And so you can imagine that all the magicians, the astrologers, all those people, man, they were now scared to death because the king said, if you can't tell me what I dream, I'm going to cut you in half. I'm going to cut you in pieces and I'm going to burn down your house. Do you think now they're a little scared? Because guess what those people could not do? They could not tell the king what he dreamed. Now, we're not going to get into the dream today because the dream takes a, a prophetic turn, a prophetic message that comes to that dream. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about a big statue that, that, that was there, and that statue had a head of gold and, a, and, a, and the arms and shoulders and a chest of silver, and, and then had, you know, uh, the midsection of, of bronze and legs of iron. And, and, and so he had all this dream, this prophetic nature that had to do with, you know, the, the Babylonian uh, Empire, and then the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the Greek Empire, and then the Roman Empire, and then part of the, the dream was that, that a rock that would, came out of the mountains that man did not call which, by the way, is a picture of the coming Messiah, that 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 rock then came and destroyed that entire uh, statue that was there, and it crumbled down to dust. And, and of course, the, the picture here is that the, the, the kingdoms may rise, that, that when Christ comes, that it is his kingdom that matters. And so that's not what we're going to get into here today. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Today, what we're going to talk about is like what we can learn from this situation that can help us when we are like King Nebuchadnezzar, When we are sitting there afraid to death, when we are sitting there afraid, scared, and not knowing what to do, and what Daniel did in response to that that can teach us how we can make it day by day. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to dig into here today. And the first thing we've got to recognize right up front, this passage teaches teaches us, is this. Life is not fair. Life is not fair. Now, do you agree with me on that? 
I mean, life is not fair. Listen, everybody in this room can tell a story about how you were in a situation and, and you were treated unfairly. A while back, I remember I took my, my wife and my kids down to Disney World. We went down to, uh, for a vacation, and we went to ride rides. And, you know, some of those rides down there, you stand in line for hours to ride a ride that, like, is 86 seconds, right? And so I remember one time we were waiting in a long line for this ride. And, I mean, it took forever. And you're standing there, you're going in line after line after line. You, you end up memorizing, like, all the slogans and all the T-shirts of the people on the line with you because you see them over and over again as you pass in the lines. And, man, we're waiting and we're waiting. I mean, we were probably in that line for, like, an hour and a half. And we finally got up to the front, man, and, and we were the next group, man. It was awesome. It was really cool. And they took the, the group and they went in and they rode the ride. And then it was our turn. And they said, we're sorry, the, the ride is broken. Life is not fair, Right? I mean, sometimes it's like things just fall apart, and, and, and it, you just wonder, like, well, why did that happen? Now, on a far more significant level, there are people in this room that have sat down with doctors, and the doctors have told you that you have a diagnosis, have a situation, have a health challenge that, that breaks your heart, that strikes fear to your very core, and you say, well, this is not fair. Why me? Anybody ever been there before? Why is this happening to me? This doesn't make sense. This is not fair. The thing we understand from this passage is life is not fair. Now let's, let's, let's convey it back to this passage. So those people were called in by the king. They served the king. They worked for the king. They, they were diligent to do their jobs. And they call, they're called into the king. And the king said, listen, I want you to tell me the dream. And then I want you to tell, interpret the dream for me. And if you can't do that, man, I'm going to slice and dice you. Ginsu knife all over you. You are going to be cut in half and your houses are going to be burned down. Do you think they were sitting there saying, this is not fair? I mean, I, I think that probably every single one of them were saying, this is not fair. They were in a situ similar situation that so many of us are in life. You see, one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from life is that not all things will work out as they should. Sometimes we're unfairly wronged. And I think everybody in this room can tell stories of how you were, you were intentionally by someone that you were treated badly, that you were treated unfairly. And our response in those moments will help to determine the level of our faith, and listen to this, and the content of our character, of who you are before Christ, of who you are as a follower of Christ. How you respond in those moments makes all the difference. Now let's go back to this passage. And again, we're not going to read the entire passage, but I do want to read some key verses, some key parts of this passage to help us understand like, like how Daniel dealt with this, right? So Daniel chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it says this, it's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious, and he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Look at that, to destroy all the wise men of Babylon, to kill them all. Listen to these words, though. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. After Daniel chapter 1, when the king interviewed them, remember, and the king found them to be wiser than, smarter than, better than, ten times better than everybody else, and yet because of this situation, because they could not tell him the dream, because they could not, you know, come up with the interpretation of the dream, he was going to kill everybody, and they went out to find Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to kill them too. Listen, life was not fair for the people back in that Babylonian empire. 
Life was not fair for that moment when they were about to be killed because they couldn't do the impossible. And so in this situation, you can imagine what Daniel must have thought. In fact, the passage tells us that Daniel was like, wait a minute, you know, he started talking to them, asked like, like why, how is this happening? Like, like maybe, maybe I can do something. Maybe, maybe I can figure out how, how God can intervene here. And so while we understand that life is not fair, here's what Daniel teaches us in that situation. And here's what every single one of us need to grab a hold of and understand that when life is not fair, all that we can do is trust God. That is all that we can do. You cannot trust your money. Your money will not buy you out of fear. Your money will not buy you out of the pain. Your money will not buy you out of a, of a medical situation. Your status will not bring you out. Your popularity is not going to get you to the place of victory. How many likes you have on Facebook, how many followers you have on Twitter, how many people, you know, just think you're the greatest guy, the greatest lady ever, that will never bring you to victory. There are times in life we must recognize and understand that all that we can do is trust God. Because life has fallen down around us so significantly, there is nothing left. That's what Daniel did. Look in this passage in Daniel chapter 2. Let's go to verse 17. So after he had heard that like life is over, after he had heard that like there's nothing left, here's what Daniel did. It says, Then Daniel went to his house, and he made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Remember, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Go back up. He went back. He grabbed with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what they did? They got on their knees before God, and they cried out to God, and they prayed. Seeking God because they knew God was their only hope. It says it right there in the passage. Man, they went and they prayed. They were seeking the face of God. They were seeking the wisdom of God because they thought that maybe by seeking God, by running to God, by praying to God, that God might just save their lives. Now, granted, now you've got to understand this now. They had no idea what to expect. They were not in the land that they'd grown up in. They were not in the land that, that they were accustomed to. They were not in the land where they had heard the story of how God had, had brought them through away from the Egyptians across the Red Sea on dry ground. They were not in that land anymore. They were not in the land with the people anymore that God allowed to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls came tumbling down and they got victory over their captors and victor, victory over their enemies and they were led into the promised land. No, no, they were not in that land anymore. They were in a totally different land, a place where it was led by a guy who was crazy, Nebuchadnezzar, a guy who, who was starting already, already, it says that we read it a moment ago, he was already killing the wise men of Babylon. Like the leaders of the nation, he was killing them all. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were on the list. Like the executioners were coming to find them and to kill them. So all that they had left, all that they could do, man, was to get on their knees before God and say, God, please, God, we seek your mercy. God, we seek your help here. God, we've got nothing left. God, we need you. You see, there are times in life when we get to the place when we have exhausted all of our energies, we've exhausted all of our efforts, we have tried everything we can do, we've tried everything that we can figure out, and we're left with a situation where we realize there is absolutely nothing left but God. And by the way, when there's absolutely nothing left but God, 
that is the safest place to ever be. Because you see, some people trust in all the other stuff and they're found like left wanting, like there's nothing left, like there's no hope. They're found discouraged. It tells us in Psalm or Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Man, that's where we need to be. You see, the sad thing is as Christians, oftentimes we find ourselves running to God as a last resort. Sometimes we find ourselves running to God when we've tried everything else. We've tried to fix the problems. We've tried to fix the challenges. Man, we've tried to do all the things. We've run all the angles. We've made all the phone calls. We've gone to see all the people who think can help us. And man, we've done everything else. And so we get to the place where we're like, man, there's just nothing left to do. I'm just going to go and, and talk to God about this. Listen, here's a lesson that we can learn from Daniel. Why don't you start there? Why don't you start there? Because there are times in life when we must realize that going to God is not only the only thing we can do, going to God is absolutely the best thing that we can do. Because God can do what man cannot do. God can do what money cannot do. God can do what your status, your job, your power, your house, your car. God can do what none of that stuff can do. Look in this passage again in Daniel chapter 2, the last part of the verse we just read, 19. Then... The secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. What happened when Daniel and his friends got to the place where they got on their knees before God and said, God, we need your help. They're coming for us. They're going to kill us, God. We need your help. God, please pour out the windows of heaven on us. God, please give us your mercy. God, we pray that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And when they had that kind of faith and that kind of trust in God, it says this, and then the God of heaven gave them the answer. There's an important word there you ought to underline. It's the word then. You see, as Christians, sometimes we think that because we are Christians, because we do go to church, because we, you know, we show up when we're worshiping together, we show up and we serve, we give to missions, we help the people in the Bahamas, we help the people in this country or that country or, or this neighborhood or that neighborhood, because we're doing all the right things, that we should just automatically have a pass of the hard work that it takes to get God's mercy and God's wisdom and God's plan for our lives. Sometimes we just think, you know what, it ought to just be given to us like right up front, like we don't have to work for it. Let me just tell you something. All of us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter how much we've done for God, no matter what we do to serve God, let me just say something. Serving God, walking with God, and getting the victory from God, it is hard work, but it's work well done. It's work worth the effort. Man, they cried out to God, and God blessed them in a powerful way, and God revealed to them the answer to the situation, and God gave them what no one else could do. God gave them the answer to the dream. Now, the passage tells us then that, you know, that Dan, Daniel went to the king, and, and he began to, to share, to begin to tell the king what happened and, and what he dreamed and what it meant. And that brings us to the, the next statement here is we recognize that God is our only hope. Like, we, we only can trust God, but, but you've got to recognize, recognize God is our only hope. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, 
The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But I want you to see this passage. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And he went ahead and began to describe to the king what he had dreamed and what it meant. There's a statement there in that verse in 28. But there is a God in heaven. Every single one of you need in your life, in your faith walk, in your faith journey to, to adopt, to grab a hold of, to hang on to that statement. But there is a God in heaven. Life is tough, but there is a God in heaven. I'm being treated unfairly at work, but there is a God in heaven. The people are making fun of me in my classroom, but there is a God in heaven. The doctors told me that there's no hope, but there is a God in heaven. I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills next week, but there is a God in heaven. My marriage has fallen apart. My family's in shambles, and I don't know what to do. But there is a God in heaven who will give to you what doesn't make sense, who will deliver to you what no one else can give, who will give you hope and give you peace and give you joy in the midst of the most difficult moments of life. But there is a God in heaven. And so many Christians today lose sight of that very one truth, of that statement, but there's a God in heaven. Man, we try to do it all on our own, and we get discouraged. And i got to be honest with you, we run to everybody we can run to to get advice and to get counsel. Man, we'll run to this person and that person. Hey, can you help me here? Man, I've I, I got a situation. I don't know what to do. Hey, would you help me in this conflict? Would you help me in this crisis? Man, I don't know how to make it through. Can, can you do this? Can you do that? Can you call this person? And, you call, and we will work our fingers to the bone to try to get to the place where we find some relief and some hope and some answer that can bring us through the most difficult moments in life all along leaving God out of the equation. Daniel knew when the executioner was coming down the street, was making his way to the door of his house, he knew, man, I've got seconds. I know there's no chance. I know there's nothing I can do to stop that man from killing me. But there is a God in heaven. So here's the question for you. In your life, what is your but God situation? What is that situation in your life right now that you, you need to understand what we learned from Daniel here? Like there's nothing left. Man, there's nowhere to turn. I've tried and I've thought and I've been in my bed awake night after night after night because of this situation and I don't know what to do. So, man, what in your situation, who will you trust? Or what will you trust? Are you going to do what the culture says and trust your money and trust your friends and trust your situation, your position, trust your, your status and, and who you know and who you can call? Or are you going to do like Daniel and his friends did, dropping to your knees before God and say, God, we beg you. We beg you. Show us your mercy. Every single one of us ought to commit to memory the statement that we find in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven. 
And when you find yourself in that situation where your heart is broken, when you find yourself in the situation where you're lying awake at night and you don't know what to do, it will always flood back. It will always come back. But there's a God in heaven. Hopeless? Nope. There's a God in heaven. Is there an answer out of this situation? Is there a way out? I don't know it. But there's a God in heaven. When it seems like everything else has fallen down, there's a God in heaven. And when we can get to that place, when we in our faith journey can have so much trust in God and so much faith in that God that that's who we are and that's what we do and that's where we live, it'll change the dynamic of every situation. So when you do get that phone call, it's not going to leave you like sitting there with the wind knocked out of you, gasping for breath and wondering, what am I going to do now? You're just naturally, like a a muscle reaction, the natural thing you're going to do, God, I need your help. And that's exactly where every single one of us need to be. Life is tough. Life is unfair. Life will come after you to destroy you. People are going to come out to destroy you. But there is a God in heaven, and he will never be defeated. Isn't that good news? But God. Father, today we thank you for the the truth that we learn from your word, that there's nothing too hard for you. The scriptures tell us over and over again, nothing's too difficult for you. That with you all things are possible. That we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so God, today we stand here. I know this. I know there are some broken people in this room. I know there are some people in this room today that are discouraged. I know there are some people in this room today that are wondering, is there any hope left? God, I pray that today through your word that they have understood, that they've seen there's a God in heaven who's going to walk me through this situation. Who's going to give me peace in the midst of this storm that is going to bring me through in victory. Is life still going to be tough? Yeah, we know it will. But God, we know that when you are with us and when we trust in you, God, we know that nothing can destroy what you are protecting. So God, I just pray that you would help us to get to that place, every one of us. And God, if there's somebody here today that can't get to that place because they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today you'd bring them to the moment where they would just simply say, I believe there's a God in heaven and I believe that that God loves me and I believe that that God allowed his son Jesus to die for me and I believe that he paid for my sin and I believe that he rose again and I believe that he's the only hope the only way the only life the only way to heaven today I believe God I pray that you'll bring them to that moment right now with their heads bowed and with their eyes closed we're going to sing together. And as we do, our, our altar is going to be open. Our team is going to be here. Man, we'd love to talk with you. Because listen, I know this. Don't lie to yourself. You can't lie to God. I know there's some people in this room today that feel like there's nothing left. I know there's some people in this room today that are so discouraged 
because of the trials that you've been through, because of the tribulation that you're facing, because of the pain that you are experiencing, whether it be a physical uh, health issue or an emotional issue or maybe a, a, a relation issue, a relational issue or, or, or a, a job issue, a financial issue. Man, you, you are left, you are so racked by pain, you can't even go to sleep at night. Maybe today you need to come to this altar and just kneel here and just say, God, thank you that you're there for me. But there is a God in heaven. And today I believe that. And today I put it all into your hands. God, I trust you. I trust you because I know you're my only hope. Maybe you need to come and pray that prayer here at this altar in a moment. Maybe you need to come and talk with one of our team and allow them to share with you who Jesus is, to introduce you to the one who will give you that hope, who will give you that gift, that free gift that while we deserve death, that no, what God's going to give to us is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We heard that story this morning from that Chinese lady. Maybe today that's going to be your story. And maybe today you need to come and say, God, I want to get saved. Maybe you want to join our, our family here, come for baptism or leave a prayer request here, whatever your need is. In a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing together. together. And when we do, listen, what God is saying to you in that voice that is quiet inside of our hearts, but that also is so loud that it drowns out everything else, all the noise in this world today, I encourage you to respond. Let's stand right now, sing together, and step out if God is leading you here this morning. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. 
That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.